Um, I think it's the variety. It's the number of gins that are available, it's the number of distilleries that are there, and there are some really good local ones as well. I know you've got one on the Isle of Man as well, and I think that's something that is exciting people because they like people like to know where their um, food comes from, they like to know where their drink comes from, and they can feel a real connection with a gin if they've been to the distillery or met the distillers and that sort of thing. So you're even aware of our gin then, are you? Have you tried it? They do seasonal ones. I've only tried one of the, the seasonal ones, but um, I, think it's, I think it's very good. And I like the approach to just, you know, using things from the island and using what's in season. And then when that's done, it's done. And then we move on, you know, move on to the next one. So I think that's a lovely way of doing it. And again, it's a nice local connection for people. And that's the thing, isn't it, Steph? You can put pretty much anything by the sounds of things in gin. Does anything work? Or is there sort of like a rule to what is going to work with the botanicals and with the sort of added ingredients? No, I mean, there are no rules, which is amazing. It's just about personal flavor preference and then what the distillery story is. And, and some of the ingredients are harder to make tasty in a gin, but th- people have figured out a way to do everything. I mean, we've got people who are putting lobster in a gin. So there's a way to get any flavor you want in there. It's just doing it in the right balance. Think about it just like cooking. It's just finding the right way to make all your ingredients sing together. And David, there's some really quirky ones out there. I know that um, last year we were talking to two of the girls from Collagen who actually have collagen in the gin as well. What's the sort of wackiest thing that you've come across? I think, um, I would just say on the on the botanicals, of course, you must have juniper. That's, that's really the only rule that there is, that juniper's got to be in there. But uh, in terms of wacky ones, um, well, there's some gins from Australia that have ants in them, which is um, kind of interesting. They add a sort of peppery sort of... Um, pheromone kind of uh, uh, thing and that's so it's a bit like um, grains of paradise or something like that so that's quite that's quite bizarre um i know steph does a gin where she sends the botanicals into space so that <laughs> oh so you have to tell us more about that steph uh, we've taken all of the botanicals and we put them on one of those weather balloons and they go up into near space and then they come back down and we find them and we do the distillation afterwards nice little youtube video if you want to watch that and it is absolutely amazing and then when people naturally ask us why do we do it our answer is why not <laughs> <laughs> does it does it taste different <laughs> so we we said it's delicious gin that's all we cared about <laughs> <laughs> so is this just a sort of trend then? I know, as you were saying, David, it did sort of start maybe about sort of 10 years ago. I remember going to um, an event actually uh, in London and it was they were just breaking out Hendrix for the first time. And even that was sort of, wow, look, it's a different kind of gin. And from then on, it seems to have absolutely snowballed. But is it just a trend or is this going to carry on? Have we fallen in love with it forever? There is a trend aspect to it, but I think that, you know, gin is here and it's not going to go away. And I think a lot of these distilleries and these local still- distilleries are things that are going to be here for the long term i think the difference from 10 years ago to now is that we used to be so dictated by well what does our local um off license stock what does our local supermarket stock and so you're much more um about the whims of the buyer there which you know that's fair enough um but now you've got online and you can and it's so much easier to buy so many different gins um and i think that's the big difference and that's going to be part of the thing that will help gin continue and continue to be all these great and interesting flavours. And also the fact that it's being made you know, around the world, really good gins being made around the world in India, in Peru, um, and lots and lots and lots in Australia. So there's, yeah, a real range going on.
So, Steph, what about tonics then? Because now, of course, you've got the likes of Eve Tree and everyone who are putting out these sort of unusual tonics. Is it OK to mix and match your tonics or do you have to make sure you get exactly the right one to go with the right gin? It's whatever your taste preference is. And I'm a big believer in experimenting. And even when we recommend serves for the gins that we have, I never like to say it's the perfect serve. This is my suggestion, but go out and explore and find out what's the best way that you're going to enjoy drinking it. So very much about looking even beyond the tonics too, um, to lots of the kind of premium soft drink mixers and fresh juices that are out there. Because a lot of people don't think they don't like gin and it's actually that they don't like tonic um, because of that bitterness that's going on in there. And I'm one of those people. I never drink gin and tonic. So with these different flavor gins and all these sort of new experimental gins, and is, is it more likely that actually it would be easier to drink it without tonic at all and just sort of have it over ice? The fruit gins that have a little bit of sweetness to them are absolutely delicious over ice um, or just, you know, maybe a splash of soda in there as well. And then the rise of the Negroni, I think, is huge, too, in cocktail bars, people drinking that strong, bitter, stirred down style. So tell me how these, av- these advent calendars work then. Is there literally gin behind every door? So it's a little dram, 30, um, 30 mils and just enough so that you can get a taste of however you want to drink it either with a gin and tonic or soda is usually my recommendation when you first try a gin so you can really taste the gin itself and it's not getting masked by anything. And yeah, a new one each day and it's got all kinds of different varieties from very classic London dry to the sweeter, fruitier gins as well. Oh, amazing. How do you even choose which ones to put in it though? Because there are so many to pick from there. It's all about the balance and making sure that it's not the same style behind every door because that would get quite monotonous. So just making sure that each day it's a new surprise for you. And then let's come, let's let's break it down then to the most important gin for both of you. If you had to drink just one gin for the rest of your lives, what would you each choose? David, I'm putting you on first. Oh, I was going to do the same thing. Oof. Well, I like the the uh, the moonshot. I think it's really good. Um, I think yes, it's a fun idea. But it's the gin is really good. It's got a nice versatility as well. There's another one that Steph does called uh, Swedish Rose, which is made in Sweden, and it has some rose in it. And I'm a bit of a fan of you know Turkish delight and stuff like that. So that's quite a good one for me as well. Okay, we're coming to you now, Steph. Two completely different things. So the first one be our rhubarb gin, rhubarb triangle, because I, being American, when I first came over to England, did not understand the obsession with rhubarb. And then I tried our gin and I was like, oh my goodness, I get it now. And I did like a happy dance. It's called 3D Juniper and it's from up in um, Scotland from a distillery called Crossbill. And it is just juniper. But it is the most complex, amazing, delicious gin I think I've ever had. And it it, it just ticks all of my boxes. And what is the most expensive gin that you've both come across? The (sighs) most expensive one at the moment is a £4,000 one, which is... I think it's in Harvey Nichols. I saw it last week uh, when I was in there. And that's the most... I've not tried it, but the most expensive one I've tried was a £2,000 one. It's called Wetenchi, which is from Cambridge Distillers. And was it worth the 2000 You would expect something pretty spectacular for a £2,000 gin, I think it's fair to say. And actually, that gin was pretty pretty spectacular. Very, um, very complex and lots to explore. Not something that you would drink every day. I mean, and probably you couldn't afford to drink every day. <laughs> but at least, you know, it wasn't a, a disappointing thing, which I think it could easily be the case given the, the cost of it. And I didn't pay for it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and what about for those who, who are looking for a really good but, but reasonably priced gin? What is a really good thing to try? 
I think Moonshot, again, is probably the best bang for your buck because it's all done on, again, vacuum distillation. So it's all really fresh botanicals that aren't cooked. And then it's got that great story about going up into space. And it's got a little moon rock as one of the botanicals as well. Uh, well, this all sounds fab. It's and now just I just delicious. want I just want to go and drink lots of gin now, which is probably not good before I go on air. But uh, so let, let us know where we can get hold of these advent calendars then. So for all the advent calendars, head over to drinksbythedram.com. That'll have information on our gin, boutique gin advent, and then all the other spirits we do as well. So whiskey, rum, mezcal, bourbon, and then um, Master of Malt's the best place to buy them. Excellent. And David, tell us about the gin dictionary before we go. It's um, a book. It's about 200 different entries. There are about 150 words each, and it covers history and production and cocktails um, and different types of gin and some of like the the key sort of names in gin as well so it's really um, it's a dictionary but it's also kind of it's an encyclopedic aspect to it as well um, and there's stuff that in there for entry level you know just getting into gin but I've tried to put a few little nuggets in there that will surprise even the uh, most experienced gin drinker Somebody give-